Q Playback. Welcome back to Q Playback. Uh, I'm Christopher Sprake, and today my guest is Andrew Inglesos, who performs under the name Brother to the Birds. Um, so, welcome, Andrew. Um, Thank Ingl- you, mate. Inglesos. I love that when we coughed, it made the guitars on the wall vibrate. That's right. The it's, it's so treated in here. You, you can't hear it in the podcast, but we can hear it here. So, if we can. Yeah. Now you don't need to strum it; just cough, <laughs> and it will it will <laughs> reverberate, resonate. Uh, so, Inglesos, um, where does that name come from? It's it's a Greek name. Surprising, I did I did do a little bit of research. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I do quite like that name uh, as a Greek name, and I would like to use it. But there's already a DJ in Greece that is using it, DJ wow. Inglesos. You should see this guy. Was that for your side project? Um, <laughs> it's not. Look, he's a very good-looking man, like me. But no, uh-huh. he, he's already taken the name and using it, so I wouldn't want to, you know, in, in, infringe on him. Um, and the, you know, the Zos is man. Okay. Ingles is like English, so it's Greek for English man. That's um. Fascinating. The, yeah, the the story goes, and look, I, I have been told this is a, this is actually a fake story, but <laughs> I want to believe that it's true. I was told that one of my ancestors was trying to get away from the Turks, so he was tricking them by, you know, pretending um, he was English an English man. man. Yeah, right. and it, it worked because here we are today having this conversation. Um, so we met a while back. Um, but you've got a new album out at the moment. Uh, so Joy is Near to Sorrow. Yes. And jumping off that um, name going back to Greece, there's a lot of folk sounds on this new album. Yep. Um, so compared to your earlier releases, how do you how do you feel or, or why was it at this moment that you felt that folk tradition was important to embrace? Um, I kind of became interested in Eastern music, I'd call it five or six years ago, and hearing music from Turkey, hearing music from, from Greece, and I suppose realising that um, there's some beautiful music from around the world that's not, you know, sounding like what we listen to necessarily or what we what we make in, in the Western world and realising there's a whole tradition of, of recording and music and production that's absolutely beautiful. I think the Turks in particular, there's something absolutely incredible about, you know, the, the way that they make Turkish folk music and, and produce it and record it, um, whether it's modern or it's, it's ancient. Um, so I, I became quite interested in that. And I think the way that I do things in life, it's very much seasonal. It's very much all or nothing. It's very much, you know, I get right into something. So if I'm right into Greek and Turkish music at the moment, then that's kind of what is interested, mm-hmm. interesting to me and what I will want things to sound like. So I've always had the Greek music in my family and, you know, relatives and, and, and so on and, you know, a few that, that were or are, you know, right into the into the uh, the Greek music, the traditional folk things. That's always been in my family. Um, my uncle Hector Cosmos, who passed away, he was a brilliant violinist in, in the Rebetika scene, which is the mm-hmm. basically, you know, the Greek blues scene, which is he's doing really, really well in Melbourne at the moment, that yeah. scene, um, thanks to uh, Con Calamaris and, and others that are part of that. Um, so, you know, he, he was you know, doing great things in Athens and Melbourne and started, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of, uh, I suppose there was a lot of music that, that these guys were making. And um, so for me to sort of see that and hear that and growing up, it's always kind of been there. But I suppose it became more of interest to me and reachable to me as I grew older. And I think part of that was going to Greece. And I was, uh, let's see... I think I was 30. I was 30 when I went to Greece for the first time, but realising that that was a big part of who I was and maybe not realising how much my Greek heritage was, um, you know, a, a big part of me. I was kind of raised to not identify, you know, so strongly with 
what country I'm from or what even what the country other people are from, you know, to sort of mm. uh, get to know people and to judge them on their character and on their strengths, on their weaknesses, rather than, hey, where are you from? Yep. But I think realising that as a Greek person, well, you know, this is actually an important part of who I, who I am. Um, and, you know, you sort of zoom in. You zoom into where you've come from and where your family's from. And you go, well, the fact that my grandparents were in northern Greece, an hour outside of the big city on a tobacco farm in the middle of a civil war, you go, well, okay, it all starts to sort of, you know, the, the story starts to make a bit more sense and, and who you are. You know. Did you find it hard becoming a smoker again at 30? Or? <laughs> um, look, um, I, yeah, it's look, tradition, at age 30, <laughs> that's right. And I, I don't know if you knew this about me, but I did actually start, no, true story, I actually did New, New Year's resolution when I turned 30 was that I actually started smoking salmon. Um, so, yeah, I've got a Weber Smoky Mountain and I'm very interested in smoking. But no, this, this is completely true. Um, I've never smoked anything but salmon and, and other meats. <clears throat> Crazily enough, my grandfather on, on my mother's side, not not from the side from the Thessalon, the, the Thessalonians, um, well, he, he ran a business in the fish industry for years and years and his father did. And they had a smokehouse down near what's now Flinders Street Station. Amazing. Smoking fish back in the day. So I, I am quite interested in smoking, but just not tobacco, unfortunately, Chris. <laughs> so winding back to uh, growing up in that environment, um, so what was it that first drew you into music? Because often um, for people like us, it's an electric guitar when you're a teenager. Mm. Uh, was that when what first grabbed you or was it just being in that environment with folk music around you? Look, I, honestly, I, I'm not like the Muso's Muso that was like growing up with a whole lot of instruments around me like electric guitars and that sort of thing, I kind of saw those instruments and thought that's another world, that's another mm -hmm. language, um, which, you know, fast forward to probably later in this conversation, which is going to be around, I saw Eastern music as another language that mm. was unattainable to me as well. Um, but anyway, re reverse back to the present moment, which is right now. Um, the... Piano was always in my house and in my family. Uh, my older brother Evan's a bit of a whiz with piano, as is my brother Nick, who sort of came out of the woodwork later in life as this incredible pianist. Hi, Evan, if you're listening. Uh, Hi, Evan. I don't think I've met Nick, but have I met Nick? Um, you would know if you have. Okay. You would know. So, Nick, if you're listening too, shout out to you. So, Nick's a brilliant piano player. Um, so, piano was, was always in the family. Um, we know we had this little stand-up piano in the in the lounge room that I'll I'll never forget. And I used to tickle it a little bit, you know, give it a little bit of a hello hello friend, little <laughs> tickle up and down the white notes, and then you know experiment on the black ones every so often, thinking what, you're. What's a, the, what's the uh, salesman joke? You can have the black notes for free. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Classic Blues <laughs> yeah. Brothers. Um, and and my mother had this wonderful. Uh, I suppose you could call it a classical nylon string guitar. But again, look, for some reason, I saw guitar as this unattainable language. I, I don't know why. I just wasn't interested in it. And the piano, I was a little bit scared of. But I always loved to sing. I liked singing and I liked poetry. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I wrote some pretty bad poems. I wrote one about my friend Jeremy, and I performed it in grade three in front of all the kids. Jeremy will not be listening to this, okay? <laughs> I don't... I want you to block you, Jeremy you, you from listening. You that much? Yeah. I, I don't know if he was cringing hard. He was smiling as I performed about him, but he might have been cringing real hard, and maybe that's why I don't know where he is anymore. I've tried to find him, and he's, he might have blocked not just me but the whole world. Jeremy, Jeremy's funny. out there talking to some therapist <laughs> about, <laughs> on their Andrew. podcast <laughs> right now. Um, no, so look, I always love that. Um, my parents were both singers in a choir. My brothers, yeah, Evan was always incredible at piano. And maybe, Evan, if you're listening to this, you were so good at piano that I felt I could never be that good, which is the truth. I never could be. But um, I kind of formed my own interest in singing. My brothers had a strong interest in musical theatre. So, you know, my earliest things that I probably would say I was passionate about with music was, and I'm not joking, Cats. 
Okay. And I have come back to Cats in the last few months. I still think Cats is incredible. Get Wipe that smile off your face, Christopher. <laughs> wipe I'm that just smile. thinking about the controversy around the most recent film. Oh, yeah. Film I haven't watched version. it. I don't, want to, I don't want to ruin my Cats uh, nostalgia with that movie. I don't think you're right there. I, I watched little YouTube shorts on it just to sort of reaffirm my position that I never want to watch that movie. But, you know, Cats is incredible. Um, Les Mis, Rent. So I was interested in this music in year six, year seven, that kind of thing, when all my friends were listening to, like, Nirvana and Aqua mm. and that kind of stuff. It's <laughs> so like I was at this... And now, I'm, and now I'm talking to you like a therapist. I was at the grade six disco and all the kids were dancing to all this music I'd never heard, all pop music, um, and I never really danced before. Now I love dancing. I've been dancing with my kids. So were you requesting, like, the... the I was like, yeah, like... Phantom of the yeah, Opera. Yeah, I want Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I want um, the music of the night at the disco. Yeah. I want um, Bring Him Home from Les Mis, Jean Valjean. <laughs> Shout out to you, Jean, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> my brother, Jean Valjean, if you're listening to this. Jean Valjean, uh, photographer in Glezos. Um, no, so look, um, yeah, so I always had that interest. Now, River Dance. Do you okay. like River Dance? I had completely forgotten and, er and, uh, and wiped every memory of that until this exact moment. Well, Riverdance has got some incredible music. Now, yeah. interestingly, for me, Riverdance, what I loved about the music from that was the instruments that I hadn't mm. heard before, these Eastern instruments. You know, I mean, I don't know if you call Celtic instruments Eastern, but, um, you know, there's lyra in there. Mm. There's different drums you might not have heard much of before. You know, there's the strings, there's the, the rhythms absolutely adore river dance again i sort of came back to that about a year or two ago when i was you know you, you know when you're showing videos to your kids if you've got kids uh you, you start showing them stuff that you you know that yeah. resonates with you so i was yeah. like oh i'm gonna show them river dance and you realize hey this is actually really decent music you know and you, you forgot how much you loved it so i sort of look back and go i was a bit of an oddball from that perspective but it's definitely helped form the music that i love to make today mm. which has got weird rhythms, which, you know, is in the Greek music as well. There's a lot of stuff that's trippy rhythms in, in the Greek stuff, um, a lot trippier than what I produce currently. I'm sure I'll become trippier as time goes on. But, um, you know, the river dance stuff and the, the the instruments that are a little bit different to your classic guitar, mm. bass and drums, and there's a whole, you know, a language of, of uh, and, and a repertoire of instruments and sounds and songs and rhythms that you know i've become a lot more interested yeah. in the last few years i think that's really important point because um western inverted commas music can be very homogenized so we're thinking okay we've got a a four four um dance beat we've got a three four waltz um we've got drums bass guitar some keyboards um and it pretty much dominates most of like the algorithm so getting back to those earthy instruments um you know i think it's really important and, and being able to explore that through your own personal heritage i think's uh, um yeah like a real, a real privilege um being uh, i've got a few years on you andrew so i'm a, I'm a classic gen x yeah and uh the music that i was engaged in early was very much um a, a way of saying that we're not part of this older world um and that a lot of the things that have been set up as aspiration points of aspira aspiration um, by that older generation just didn't exist for us anymore. So we were just going to make whatever music we liked, as bad or as horrible or as noisy as you know punk and post punk could be. It was still uh, our expression, and we owned that. Mm. Um, it was sort of feeling like you didn't have a heritage that you related to. Um, and, you know, working with your friends to create something together. Uh, so it's fascinating to hear that you can work back through that lineage, through uh, your experience, through your, your culture and your family, um, and produce something that's beautiful and relevant today. Um, I'm trying to remember when we first met, because we've done a few shows together over the years. Yeah, we have. And I think I might have even... Did I rope you in to do a, a gig in one of my community shows as well? I think. Yeah, maybe. we yeah. we did something in your big hall. Yep. In, uh, you, I don't know if you if you were living there, but no. it was this big, beautiful <laughs> space, and Morgan she sang and played beautifully there, and yep. her mum was there. She was a legend of an audience member. <laughs> we were like talking during the set back and forth, and 
it was really, really intimate and wonderful. Yeah, mm. yeah, we've, we've, you've been very, very gracious to me in, in letting me come and play some shows with you, and that's been well very much enjoyed and appreciated. If, if, if by gracious you mean dragging you into a community hall on an inner city housing estate to try and uh, break down preconceptions of uh, what should be what a Greek should do, <laughs> then mate, that's mission accomplished. That's what I'm here for. I was going to go with community, you know, stereotypes around housing estates, but Greek, why, why not? Look, mate, now look, you you do it. You do a great job of that, mate. Definitely, you do a great job of that on your own. You're doing wonderfully. So you're you're now three releases into uh, Brother to the Birds. We're two releases in. So I did an EP about yep. nine years ago called Brother to the Birds, self-titled. Shout out if you're listening to this, Andy of the past. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, uh, th- that was a bit of a different sound to to this, you know, to the music I'm doing now. Um, and then I've got the, the new album, which is Joy is Near to Sorrow, which is you know, a, a different beast. Um, that being said, if I was to play a song solo from the new album, there'd probably be aspects of it that you wouldn't recognise the Eastern elements in it if I'm just playing it on a guitar mm. and singing. So, you know, the songs might not be that much different sounding to my last thing nine years ago, but I think it's because of the band and the influence of, of the sounds and how we produced it that they sound extremely different. Um, you know, one of the songs on the album, the second song, Hermosphere, is uh, it's a song I wrote, you know, 10, 12 years ago. So uh, I think I might have even finished writing that song before I even recorded the EP nine years ago. So, um, you know, it's interesting when you have a song that's that old that sticks around and probably sounds completely different to when you originally made it. Yeah, and I did have that one um, noted because um, for me it feels like lyrically there's a bit of a folk repeat in that, that um, you'll repeat lines as a sort of point of reference. Um, Did you feel like that was more of a folk or poetic song to write? Look, out of all the songs on Joy's Need a Sorrow, that one's probably the most open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you you can edit this out of the podcast if you want, Chris, but I actually (laughs) took that song to chat. This is a true story. I took that song to ChatGPT last week and I I thought, you know what I'm going to try with ChatGPT, which I've been using a bit more recently. I'm going to see how it goes with interpreting a song. It did pretty flippin' well. Yeah. It was pretty good. Because it interpreted the way that I interpret the song, which is about, you know, it's got this song, you know, the wind blows through the trees, brings the summer to her knees. You came along, caught me unawares. Was it you? Was it you? Um, you know, it's you could probably interpret it as you want, but, you know, it kind of interpreted this issue of hearing things in nature, questioning, um, you know, this, the existence of God or something supernatural. And uh, it, it did a really good job of actually interpreting it. So, um you know, if you need a review, you could just ask ChatGPT for one. Um, no, but in uh, in all seriousness, though, um, that that song, you know, it's probably like that song is probably the most out of place in that album if it weren't for the band and the way that they accompanied it. Mm. Um, it's probably the most normal from the perspective of rhythms because it stays in three, four the whole song and doesn't mm. have anything any weird diversions. Um, it almost sounds a little bit Celtic in ways because it's got the the lira, which sounds, you know, uh, sounds quite nice in it with its rhythmic uh, strumming. It's it's like a lira is like a violin on your lap kind of thing. Uh, and it's got the ney, which is the Middle Eastern flute that Phil Carroll plays a beautiful solo in, uh, which has got, you know, I guess it, it's got a real folky, classic folk kind of feel to it in that song. And you've got the bazooki, which interestingly was a Greek bazooki, in the album that uh, Pantelli Crest has played absolutely incredibly. He's, he's, a, he's a legend of a bazooki player in Melbourne. Um, but the Irish have got an Irish bazooki. Now, mm. there is no Irish bazooki in that song, but there's this crossover between Irish music and Greek music, which, mm. again, gives me kind of goosebumps because I loved, again, you know, I had this really strong connection to River Dance as a kid. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that song is definitely probably the most classic-sounding, folkish, repetitive sort yeah. of song. That song as well i gave a demo to the guys which was just me playing that on the guitar singing it mobile phone recording very simple whereas all the other demos i gave them was all you know i put into the what do you call it when you orchestrate it on the computer chris 
you know, the DAW. What's that? Uh, produced it? Produced it. You know, like I, I did parts and I gave them parts. Yeah. yeah. So, so multi-tracked. Multi- yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you, Chris. Yeah, yeah. So the multi-tracking. Where, uh, so I gave him a demo that had everything, you know, all, all the uh, different parts on it. Whereas this song, you know, it was so simple. I kind of just gave him a crappy little iPhone recording. And interestingly, that's when the guys really, I suppose, you listen to that song and it's almost like there's a lot of freestyling going on. Mm. Like, could it be too much freestyling? If it is, for I me, like it. I'll for me, like it's it. never too much freestyling. Never too much freestyling. <laughs> Can you please put that on your business card? Chris Frank, never too, <laughs> too much, much freestyling. freestyling. <laughs> uh, I'll go back into hip-hop production. Um, the <laughs> front cover of Joy's Nearer to Sorrow, speaking of um, all the different um, traditional instruments that feature on this album, so you've got a beautiful um, picture of a boat which is also an oud. Yeah, well done. Um, so who, who um, put that cover together for you? And Was that your idea or it was inspired it, it, by it was my else? It was or? my idea. Yep. Um, now, I did have an attempt on it on Microsoft Paint to, <laughs> yeah, to, draw, to draw the oud boat. Old school tools sound warmer. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. analogue. It's yeah. analogue paint. Um, no, so that was uh, Yorgos Kronopoulos, who's a... a water paint artist from Athens mm-hmm. and he's actually you know one of the top ones he, he only got into water painting like I think it was something like in the last three or four years and he's, he's he told me he's, he's actually representing Greece in this like water painting big you know conference or get together or artist show the showdown thing oh, that, that they're doing in, in Europe he's real good mm. yeah so I gave him this idea about the the oud boat and he ran with it or he swam with it, depending mm. on how you want to use that analogy. And uh, and he also did the artwork on the, the other singles as well mm. for the album, which there's been two released so far. Yep. And uh, Wildflowers a... and what was the most recent one? And Forbidden Places. Forbidden Places. Yes. So there's two more singles to come as well, which you'll get to see more of his wonderful artwork. And um, did, how did you come across his artwork? Was it just scrounging around online or...? Yeah, yeah. So, um, look, Instagram has been a wonderful way to find beautiful, you know, beautiful people and beautiful images. And um, it's, it's actually it's actually been really good from a social media promotional perspective. I think Instagram is, uh, has been a bit of a winner for us mm-hmm. compared to some of the other things out there. It's really, you know, fascinating how you can put up a video playing a Turkish saz, which is like the Turkish guitar, and somehow, without even, you know, without even uh, hashtagging things and making an effort like I know you do, which, which I, I just wish I knew more about, did a better job of, somehow you get Turkish Saz players finding your video, mm, liking yeah. your things, following you, and you're like, how did you find that just from a little 20-second video of me playing it? Mm. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think Instagram's doing doing well for me sort of connecting with other people in, in the scene, whether they're visual artists or music artists or... Yeah. Yeah. And as far as hashtags go, all those people that go to my YouTube channel to learn how to record piano or um, congas or electric guitar, can you please go and listen to my songs as well? Exactly. <laughs> Come on. Um... So with Wildflowers, um, why was that the choice uh, for a lead single? It's got a lot of 4-4 uh, in it. It's not <laughs> completely 4-4. Four, four. It's got a little cheeky 4 than a 5, yeah, which yeah. is actually a bit of a Greek thing that happens. It's got a name for it. But you'll, you'll get a little bit of that in the Greek music, the 4 than the 5. Um, I love messing with rhythms like that. It's also, look, I think it's probably the most user-friendly sounding song on the album. The second one that's going to come out soon, Dark Clouds, that is strictly 4-4. It's a lot more dark and minor key, but in some ways it's probably going to be quite accessible as well compared to some of the other weird and wonderful things that we've done. Um, I'm really, you know, I, I enjoy thinking about the Wildflower song because of, you know, what, what the song means for me and, and uh, where it's come from. And, yeah, so um, take, us, take us through that then. So when I went on my, uh, on my Greece trip when I was 30, 
which was eight years ago, um, we went to this wonderful place called Kanya in, in Greece. And it's on the island of Crete. It's a beautiful town in the northwest of Crete, and it's got this beautiful Venetian harbour. So the Venetians were one of the wonderful nations that, or, you know, the, the Italians, I suppose. That not, not just an 80s pop group. No, no, and not just curtains, not just blinds as well, um, that, that came and hung out in, in Crete and, and uh, had their moment of, of uh, you know, uh, I don't know if they ruled the place, but, but they, they were hanging out there. So there's a lot of beautiful colour building, buildings in this, in this harbour. The streets are also very colourful and beautiful and... Look, they say that the Greeks are the most hospitable around the Europe, you know, the European countries. I don't know if that's true, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy to believe it. But that the Cretans are the most hospitable of the Greeks. Wow. So you go there, the food, the hospitality, very, very, uh, very warm and welcoming. And the music. So the, the, the Cretan music, if you're not into Cretan music, I recommend you go and jump onto a Cretan playlist on the S word. That rhymes with hotify. Um, that's I'm sure we can say the S word on that's right. on the recording. Um, yeah, get into some Cretan music. They the, the classic. If you don't know Cretan music, the classic thing is the lira and the layuto, which is kind of like the Cretan guitar and the Cretan violin. You know, those two instruments together are absolutely wonderful. Um, so yeah, the, the, for me, I'm not an expert, but for me, the Cretan music. It's its own thing compared to, you know, your traditional Greek music that, that maybe you might think you know. Um, what I loved about that song was was that we got the Cretan instruments happening, but we also had some, you know, bazooki on there, piano accordion, darbuka. Um, so, you know, walking around the the, uh, the the streets in Kanya, you know, there was always a few people busking with the darbuka, you know, the little Turkish drum. Mm. So th- it's really like a a uh, fusion of, of um, cultures and music when you're there in, in Kanya. And uh, in case you want to know how to spell it, it's C-H-A-N-I-A. Some people say Chania. If you want to be an Australian, you can say Chania. I had a conversation with a lady and we were talking about the same place for about 10 minutes, not realising that it was... She was talking about Chania. I'm like, never heard of it. Sounds amazing. Have you been to Chania? No, what's that place? And then realising we were both talking about the same place. Um, so, yeah, for me, like, that song's about the different cultures that have come and gone. It's also about the World War Two Battle of Crete where there was a big battle that happened across multiple places on the island of Crete where the the people of Crete fought back against the German paratroopers with their, you know, pitchforks and their farm weapons and they stole, you know, guns off the as the Germans as they were landing on the ground from their paratrooping um, yes. you know, attempts. Um, yeah, and, and it's there was also Australians and New Zealanders and other con- countries, I think there was Brits as well, that fought in the Battle of Crete to help the uh, the Cretans out. So it's um so it's, it's got a lot of layers to it. Another group of people um, affirming the tradition that it's always okay to punch Nazis. It is. It uh, is. I wasn't going to say the N-word <laughs> in the podcast, but I'm glad you went there. Um, so you mentioned Dark Clouds. Um, the other, uh, the instrumental uh, on the album, Olwan, is that how we say it? Yes. Um, that had a similar feel to me of um, exploration and spaciousness. Um the last few years obviously have been fairly trying for a lot of people going through the pandemic. Do you think that fed into how you were feeling on this album or do you think you already had a lot of these songs ready to go? Well, we actually recorded this album. We recorded the ensemble in February 2020. Oh, wow. A month before all this stuff went down. For me, well, I just have to comment on the L1 track. That was a Taksim. So that was an improvised piece mm-hmm. by the band members of Al One, who uh, are three okay. dudes in Melbourne. Yep. Phil Carroll on the uh, on the Middle Eastern flute, the Nay. Matt Stonehouse, I think he played the frame drum, the 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 duff in that song. Um, and Yuval Ashka, who's a whiz of a oud player in Melbourne, one of the best oud players around. So those three dudes whipped that song out of nowhere. I just said to them, 
the classic cheesy Western understanding of the East, I want you to think about the desert. <laughs> and they played the song and it was wonderful. No, you know what I said? I think I said people travelling through the desert mm. and they played this beautiful piece and, um, you know, you've probably been through this, Chris, when you're like, where do I fade the song out? Where do I <laughs> chop it? And I had all these different options of where to chop that song and I thought it was too hard to do it. So yeah, I just I just yeah. let the whole piece run on the, on the album and it sounds really cool. Um, the question that you had, what was the question you had? Uh, the, co- the pandemic? Mm, and if that fed into any of it. So the writing was largely done. Did you have to wait for mixing and mastering? And We waited. Look, there was a lot of waiting. There was definitely delays because of everything that happened with the old mm. pandemic. And I know a lot of musos, you know, probably resonate with that from the perspective that a lot of projects were delayed for sure. Mm. Um, it's always nicer to work with, with producers and, you know, when you're sort of in person with them yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. trying to do it over Zoom calls and emails and all those things that we're traumatised by after <laughs> the uh, the old COVID. Um yeah, so I, I think for me, I think what's interesting is we've probably all grown and become more resilient and become more self-aware after the pandemic because we've all had time to reflect on ourselves a bit more. And so I think when I look at the songs, I'm able to sort of almost view it like a bit of a documentary of who I am, where I've come from, who I am today, being a slightly more, hopefully more mature, resilient person to when the songs were written or to when they were first thought about. Um, I don't know. Do you find like when you look back at your music that you are reflecting on who you are and your character? And Oh, definitely. I mean, even one of the most recent podcasts, going back through the first full album I did by myself, trying to be gracious about something that I did when I was 20 um, yep. and all of the things that feed into that. Um, it's hard. Um, I think it, it takes a lot of time and patience with yourself, uh, graciousness with yourself um, to see what you've learned, see how you felt. Um, can also be um, quite magical. Um, I'm not sh- sure what it's like for you going back to your your first release, but it can be it can transport you back to a point in time. Um, so I listened uh, to my first full album, and I remember living in a share house. I remember um, that it was crazy having uh, six people living in the one space and all their partners coming through, and you never knew who you were going to wake up and find um, in your house having breakfast. And, I thought you were going to say uh, in your bed. <laughs> if, if only I'd been so lucky at that point in my life. Um, what, what, the, 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 what one of your housemates' partners ends that's up right. in your Yeah, okay, yep. well done. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I think uh, I'm old, and so that gives me a little bit more distance from um, all of the emotions that might have been tied up with earlier recordings. But, um, yeah, I, I think... I, I mean, I can't speak for your experience. I, I, I think it's nice to look back and listen to something that maybe you haven't listened to for a couple of years mm. and to go, oh, that actually wasn't too bad. Or the things that I thought were crap about it actually aren't crap. It's just where I was at. Like, I, I remember there was a little season where I felt self-conscious about certain things with with the first release and I think I was probably standing too close to the canvas having listened Mm, to it too much too often reflecting on it whereas when you sort of put it down for a few years and you listen to it and you're like oh actually I really am happy with with what we did um you know maybe I'm better at certain things now and I wouldn't make the same decisions as I did then Mm. um but you know, hashtag first world problems, mate. Come on, we've got bigger problems to worry about in life, don't we? Not really, we're artists. We fixate on this stuff. Oh, honestly, mate, I, I'm super, I'm excited about, I'm almost just as excited as finishing this project and moving on to the next one as I am about the project itself and everything that's great, what, what, what I enjoy about it and what I think is great about it. Um, it's kind of like a, it's it's a liberty, it's it's, it's like a release of, of uh, you know, of, of uh 
energy to say this this chapter is done this album is done you know we, we recorded it in february 2020 and now we're sitting here in flipping september 2023 talking about it that you know i'm really proud of it and happy and also just almost equally excited about the next album which you know maybe maybe is a year or two off who knows um and even the, the title joy's near to sorrow i think musically you can hear that um, i think there's both joy and sort of a darker introspection. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you hear the, so, the, the long experimental track, Tidy Now? Yes. It, it goes for like 10 minutes. <laughs> what do you think of that? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking for some validation. No, no, I'm not asking for validation. <laughs> I, I'm just curious, you know, you, you, you listen to a lot of music. Well, I guess that's the thing that um, I enjoy being challenged and having different um, sounds come through. Um, it's... So, as a point of contrast, I I ran a youth hip hop program for three and a half years, and so wow. so two nights a week, um, I would have uh, young people uh, from what's inverted commas at risk backgrounds um, coming in to record hip hop, and some of it was amazing. But no matter how good it is, after you've done three and a half years, two nights a week of hip hop you want something different. You want to hear something different. You want to, um, something is like a palate cleanser. Um, so any, any music, um, that either sonically or through musicianship challenges me and makes me sort of almost reset, I I find good. Um, I, I guess where I was going with the question though, was that, um, there are highs and lows on this album. And, uh, so what is your, interpretation of joy is near to sorrow uh, what what journey is that for you for me that album name joy is near to sorrow it, there's so much to say about it, it i i it, it's a lyric from the song misery follows misery follows is the hmm fourth track on the album it's about my grandparents coming over from said northern greece conversation from earlier um but basically they came over to australia and life still had its hardships yeah. life in some ways didn't get much easier you know they were probably in a safer place but um so for me it's it's sort of resonating around the issue of people that are migrants are escaping somewhere that or leaving a place that is you know, not ideal, dangerous, not safe, but they might actually, you know, still have a lot of hardships and, and issues when they relocate. And you might not be a migrant, but I think that's it's kind of reflective of, of the human, you know, the human condition that we're going to go through things that are uh, joyful and also sorrowful, maybe all at the same time or maybe one thing after the other. Mm. And I think uh, I probably felt like I grew up without a whole lot of sorrow in my life, with a whole lot of uh, a lack, sorry, a lack of sorrow or a lack of hardships. I sort of went through the first 20 years of my life pretty unscathed. Um, Which for people of our generation is probably a bit of a miracle, really. Yeah, Mm. yeah. So, you know, eastern suburbs, Christian upbringing, you know, pretty good health all around for myself and my family, not too many close deaths in the family. Um, and so sort of entering the big bad world, getting married pretty young and, you know, realising the hardships of life and money and sickness and, um, you know, friendships and the tumultuousness of relationships and friendships. Um, is tumultuousness a word? Sure. That's right. Just edit that one out. That's fine. <laughs> all good. All good. Noted. Um, yeah, so, so to realise, uh, you know, that actually there, there is there can be a lot of sorrow in life uh, that you face when you're adulting. Hashtag adulting. There we go. Um, but uh, I think a lot of good music and art comes out of sorrow. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, you know, I, I definitely have experienced more joy in my life realising the lows that I've experienced in life. And, and uh, you know, you don't really understand the highs until you've had the lows. Mm. Crazy, crazy story a band in Greece that my uncle was in, the one who passed away, Hector, they released an album this year. Oh, wow. 
the album is pretty much the same name as my album. In, in Greek? In Greek. Wow. Joyful wow. Sorrow. Gee. We both released an album. Now, now everyone hears that. St- people that I tell that story to, they think that I'm, like, about to say, isn't that terrible? They stole my name. Well, <laughs> no, no, dude, it's not. No, it's awesome. Mm. I spoke to George from Appledemi Apple Company from the band. He's like, mate, it's, well, you know, we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, like, yeah. from across the seas, we both have got the name Joyful Sorrow, yeah, basically. <laughs> How cool is that? Their, their album... Um, is a Rebetica album because that's what they play. They play the Greek blues and the Greek blues, man. I mean, you know, it's yep. it's like any good ethnic music. It's come out of hardship and, and hard times for a particular culture. It's like you know, I think samba. Well, do you know much about samba? Not about samba, no. Well, I'm pretty sure samba's you know it'll all come out of the you know the 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 South American. Uh, you know, terrible things the South Americans have gone through over the years mm. and dictatorships. You know, this joyful music that's come out of the a sad, yeah, it's an act hard of situation in itself. So. Correct. Yeah. So, um, oh, I like that active rebellion. <laughs> the active rebellion. It's just like the Gen X rock and rollers. Probably with a little bit more depth, I would say. <laughs> a bit more depth. <laughs> I want to ask you: Do you listen to rock and roll music? Do you listen to that Gen X music, and do you enjoy it? I listen to sort of the the punk post punk. I'm, I'm pro- I'll probably listen to more post-punk. Um, and I was going to actually mention that because uh, people are, why do you listen to this sad music? Like even the artists I listen to these days, people will often say, oh, it's sad music. Um, but for me, it's like I need to know that someone else is experiencing the same things that I've experienced. There's a comfort yep. in knowing that you're not alone in going through that and that if someone else has gotten through it, that you can yourself as well, hopefully. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think growing up, listening to that kind of music was about finding identity. And um, it, now I question some of it. I I think some of the better artists that came out of that scene um, were able to move beyond the nihilism that a lot of it was based on. Um, I'm all for burning systems down. Um, but I, I think if you don't have something to offer in its place, um, then what good are you doing in the world? And, and that would be a personal philosophy as much as a musical philosophy. Um, you don't have to replace it with a system, but you at least have to show some kind of contrib- contribution to humanity that is not just um, attacking the thing that's holding you down. Do you think that's what the Gen Zers are doing now? Are they trying to build more something, build something, build some positivity? I mean, I think they have to. I think there's <clears throat> so, like, I mean, we talk, we complain about the boomers um, and saying how they had all the opportunities and now there's been a shift of wealth, um, generational shift of wealth um, because of the systems that were put in place by the boomers. Um, Gen X, you, you're kind of still able to use some of those systems to your benefit um, if you've been lucky. Uh, but I look at, you know, the younger people that um, I work with or even my own kids and the opportunities are not... There's n- You cannot say that they've got the same opportunities that we had or, or certainly our parents had. Um, and so if your positives are building community, um, are building your own ways of interacting, um, I'm all for it. So, and you? Having look, a, having a, a day job on the numbers? Um, look, I, I'm lucky enough to, to come across a few of the, you know, the younger generation musicians, and I, I feel like there is a bit more positive, I'm generalising here, mm. positive major key um, building rather than tearing down. Maybe there is some more self-reflection. I feel like maybe less angst and emo-ness, not emo from the musical perspective of emo, I'm talking more like emotional self-reflection. I know there's a lot of music out there. I'm just going off of like a generalisation here of what, what I'm observing across mm. the people that I see. And I think definitely the Generation X and Y, we probably had a lot more angst yeah. And they do now. Yeah, I think so. I have to say, I think I enjoy the emo and the angst more than 
I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I enjoy well what wallowing a bit more in the sorrow and the joy rather than a. Uh, I don't know. So on the topic of uh, punk and post punk bands, um, how is it that um, performing under the moniker? Brother to the Birds, you haven't covered any of the songs off Midnight Oil's Bird Noises EP from 1980. <laughs> look, look, in all seriousness, I, I do I do love Midnight Oil and I, I did not want to see Midnight Oil uh, perform in their current state for a long time because I thought, oh no, if, if, I, if I wanted to see Midnight Oil, I should have gone, you know, in the 90s and I was too young to go. So I don't want to ruin that. But I had a friend, Matthew, uh, Michael Matthews, thank you, mate, if you're listening, who was generous enough to let me go with him and gave me a ticket uh, earlier in the year. Um, and it was a wonderful concert. They were fantastic. So look, um, I, I, I'm a big Midnight Oil fan. Um, I'm a Birds... Look, the Brother to the Birds thing is, is a reference to the to uh, St. Francis of Assisi, mm-hmm. who was the patron saint of animals, animals and nature yep. and all sorts of things. So, um, you know, I, I always uh, resonated resonated with with, uh, with him and, and with that name. Well, if you can get onto your publicists, uh, I think it would be a good move to cover uh, No Time for Games or Wedding oh, Cake Island. Look, look <laughs> if, if you're happy with it, with some Greek and Turkish influence, then that'll be great. And, mate, if you're happy to produce it, I like this little studio <laughs> we're sitting in right now. You wanna you wanna make it happen? We will do it. I, I did I did have a little chuckle to myself though that I went to the Midnight Oil Resist tour. Resist that was their name of the tour, and everyone was having their you know vaccination checks done as they walked into the concert. And I was like, oh yes, okay, yes. Um, so one of the questions I always ask is, um, what was your most desperate moment of innovation? So have you had a moment, um, whether recording or um, on stage, where something went terribly wrong and you had to adapt in the moment? Or are you just that good that it's never happened? I went to a uh, Christian music festival and our tent uh, that we were playing in, we were in the, the quiet tent. They put us next to the loud tent. <laughs> so we ended up jamming along with, I think it was Steve Grace or something on a 12 bar oh. blues. So that was really trying to, you know, improvise in the moment of keeping up with the, the volume that was next to us. But that that's not a story I like to tell. So, you know, again, just, just, just scrap that one for the podcast, Christopher. Um, look, I, I think um, in terms of innovative, like I, for me, more is more. Like, uh, I think when it comes to instruments and multi-tracking, I love different colours and different flavours. So if I can say, hey, let's do one more take with a different instrument, let's try this, let's try that, for me, more is more. Mm. Um, I uh, When we recorded the first EP back nine years ago, that was with Dallas Cosmos my, uh, at Prototype Studios, we did fun things like we got a... a uh, a xylophone and we kind of I suppose what do you call it we prepared it you know with with different dulling things and instead of playing you know with the the proper way you meant to play with the the stick with the ball on the end on the xylophone we kind of played it the other way and we made these little chinky chinky sounds (laughs) is it can you say chinky I don't know um in you'll you'll hear that in the song um what was that song called the pool of eden on the on my first EP um and we also did some experimentation with uh, I was doing this thing where I had a guitar slide and I was lying it on top of the electric guitar strings and hitting it with a little wooden hammer thing and it kind of produced some interesting sounds. So for me, it's kind of like the trying to innovate and try different things with instruments. Sometimes it can just be overcompensating, like my lack of technical ability on being able to play wonderful guitar solos or being able to do this means that you go well i better try something a bit crazy to overcompensate (laughs) but look at the end of the day if it sounds good and if it makes me happy then i'm happy to do it so yeah i might whip out the old guitar slide again and try that i think um you know it's always good to experiment and to to try different things out and so after this long journey from you know teenage years, and the long journey of this podcast and me, right. me rambling a lot, and the and uh, two albums, um, what do you think is you know the most important thing that you've learned through all of these experiences? Can be musical, can be you know, for you personally. Um, can I answer that in two parts? Sure. Okay. Um, can I come back another day? We'll do the first part now, second part later. 
He's like, no, 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 we've had enough. It's enough. Um, personally, um, I do love to talk about myself, so this is going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> I think I think I definitely what, – what was the question? <laughs> so what do you think is one of the most important things you've learned through all of these experiences? Okay, okay. So I think I've learned that I think I want to keep my cards closer to my chest when I am working on an album. Mm-hmm. I think when you're more unsure of yourself and of what you're doing and – caring too much what people think, which is the cheesiest thing you could say in your life. You want to get validation along the way to make sure you're on the right path with things like, hey, which which album covers better, this version or this one? Hey, do you like the sound of this? Um, I think it, it's kind of like you've got to stand by your decisions and you've almost got to enjoy it for yourself and say, this is what I love. This is what I want to do. That will be the best version of what I'm working on here. Um and you'll get better at making a better judgment call on those artistic decisions mm. that you don't need to get validation from so many people along the way with your album or production that you're working on. So I think for me, um, realising that I can have confidence in myself and what I'm doing, that the best decisions that I've made on this album have been the ones that I made for myself and didn't necessarily come from someone else. But then that being said, the other lesson I've learnt um, is how good it is to have great musicians around you mm. and to have the right team of people around you yep. that are creative, that you can give some free reign to and then add their own, um, you know, creative their own creative touches into without giving them all the things to do. Whenever I try and give someone a, a great idea of this is how you should play this or this is how you should do it, it's usually not ended up very well. <laughs> or they've been skillful enough to do it but do it a whole lot better than than i could have ever told them how to do (laughs) an example of that would be um in the track of my album uh the vessel uh the wonderful patty montgomery who's a multi-instrumental genius musician in melbourne um he he played this instrument called the yali tambur which is kind of like the eastern version of the cello so when you hear the song you might think you're listening to cellos it's actually a couple of takes of yali tambur um, he did this wonderful thing for me and he played this, these beautiful tracks which we put on the album. And when I listened, I got to the end of it and I, you know, I, I listened and I loved it and I paid his bill and, and I was like, oh, no, I forgot to tell him about my, my little melody line that I wanted him to do. <laughs> do, 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 I was like, that's a genius line. Oh. <laughs> and then I listened to what he did. I thought, mate. What he did was like 57 times better. So it's okay. It's okay that he didn't do my melody line. Um, yeah, so look, honestly, when you work with the right people, then they can make your, the, you know, the crumbs from your table a, a beautiful meal. <laughs> Who Who's your team? Who's your people that you're like, you know, you just know that they will make your thing the best thing it can be? Well, I've been lucky enough in the, the last two bands um, well, technically, I, I still play with both of them. Um, so, Hidden Currents, who you've played with um, as well. Um, Hi, guys. Love your work. <laughs> it's just having people that you can connect with and trust. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, so, I mean, we've technically got a second album uh, that's, you know, waiting to be finished off. Amazing. Um but the writing for that was just trusting each other, um, listening to each other. Um, and so we, you know, at one point, I think we had something like 40 different demos for songs and wow. we just, ha- it was all negotiation. Um, and if you can go through all of that and write with people and not completely piss each other off, <laughs> um, then I think that's great. But, but there are other um, producers and musicians that I just trust. Um, uh so Marty Brown, uh, I, I will get him to you know listen to mixes. Um, I, I love his drumming. I always know that if I've got a track um, that I want a certain kind of drums, he's got the the right vibe for it. Um, and I think it's just um, you, you can elevate people in a bad way sometimes. That um, you know you want 
to be like someone or you want to be like a certain artist. Um, and I think you're right that sometimes you need to trust your own instincts, um, but you also need people around you that you trust their instincts and um, yeah, you're, you're able to take on board their advice. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the closest I've got to a team. So how do you balance that thing I said before about trusting your instincts, building your own art without necessarily having to not compromise it but change it too much from other people's advice? Like how do you balance that with the team aspect? I suppose you're kind of lucky that you've got these people in your band that you love and trust and you kind of work together and you almost have like a group, it's like a, you work together to this like almost like a group brain of yeah. this is what's going to work and what whatnot. I mean, yeah. I don't know, how do you balance that? I mean, uh, part of it is also, um, you know, the joy of music to, you know, tie back into your album. But the, there's no, there's really no rules. So you can write a piece of music and um, err on the side of being a control freak but there's nothing to say you can't do those extra takes, you can't experiment, you can't find those other moments. And if you're open to those moments of joy of creating with other people, sometimes you do find stuff that's better and you just need to be able to let go of the reins long enough to you know, let that moment happen sometimes, I think. So, and that can be for a lot of things in life. So. And how much perfectionism do we put into the production and retakes and fixing yep. it's like if we don't put the perfection in is it going to get listened to on this radio station is it going to be taken seriously do you know do you have to get it to a particular polished point yep how hard do you push yep and you know, for certain kind of productions people will come to me because they don't want it to be too polished other times you know when you've done 16 takes of the lead vocal and you're going through line by or word by word to get the best word to comp down to the, the lead vocal you feel like you've lost something you feel like you've lost um, the intimacy of a performance but it's what the artist wants so um, maybe then we're also fighting with the our own ideas of what perfection and success is. Um, well, there's a line from uh, the opening track for my EP uh, from nine years ago, Umbrian Brother, which is a song about St. Francis of Assisi. And the line is, you look so perfect when you're not perfect. And it's kind of uh, singing about organic fruit. And the best apples are organic apples. And they sometimes look a bit weird, but they taste a lot better than non-organic apples. If you're going to have anything organic in your life, organic apples. I'll take it from you. Write it down. So thanks so much for coming in um, today, Andrew. Um, so aside from this new album, uh, Joy's Near to Sorrow, are there other things you want to give a little bit of a plug before we sign off? Yes, we've got an album launch, which is Fantastic. going to be happening at the wonderful Abbotsford Convent on November the 18th. So hopefully this podcast comes out on the 17th, one day before. It creates a lot of hype. Um, so it's going to be around 7pm, Abbotsford Convent in the Oratory. There's going to be an eight-piece Eastern Ensemble playing with me, which is a very exciting. Beautiful and, space. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm super excited. We're going to have some friends there, Meals with Impact, who uh, are a beautiful organisation uh, that employs migrant people to cook wonderful food. So they'll be there and going to be a good night i'd like to see you all there if you can come along if you're in melbourne otherwise if you're overseas listening to this wonderful podcast then you know maybe we'll put some videos up on the the interwaves sounds great do you have an internet website for this podcast uh we have links that go out with the podcast very good so we will do as much as we can my website if anyone's interested is www (laughs) (laughs) why would you laugh at me when i'm trying to www dot instagram i <laughs> i n s t a g r a m dot com forward slash url link five a two underscore six forward slash brother to the birds underscore url dot com forward slash three six two five and the most impressive thing is that you just did that off the top of your head. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I also know your tax file number off by heart. That's a joke. That's a joke. I do not know that. That would be weird. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, so Mate, you didn't the, ask the hard-hitting question. Mate, you asked some very good questions. Very good. Mate, you didn't ask any hard-hitting questions about, you know, the drug use, the frivolous spending. The tax minimisation tax strategies. minimisation strategies. <laughs> how to claim guitars against a tax agent uh, <laughs> business. No, I don't know. Look, I mean, mate, is there any encore questions that... We just want to get the listeners really, really feeling like we, we delved into the depths of of the art and music and the human condition. Um, look, we, we can. I'll, I'll throw this in as an extra, and we can. Cut Is it, it. Are you going to charge me for it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Like between the first album, between you and me, as if yeah. no one's listening. That's, that's right. Just yeah. Shh, quiet. Um, so between uh, the the first album and the second album, uh, personally, you've been on a huge journey. Uh, so you've become a father twice. Mm-hmm. Um, your children, beautiful, but uh, as we were talking about off air, uh, both different levels of autism and how they mm-hmm. interact with the world. Um, and on top of that, uh, you've talked a little bit about you know, growing up in uh, a Christian household, um, do you still retain a faith and how do you how do you reconcile ideas of faith with um, the difficulties that you've been through? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. So f- from an artistic perspective, I think I'm not like a, you know, a Christian band, um, but I'm also not like a Greek you know, traditional Greek band. So it's like um, I feel like there's elements of my songwriting that are always going to reflect back to spirituality and to God. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still, you know, trying to, to grapple with my, you know, Christian identity and Christian faith and um, that's always there. And then when you have children as well, that really sort of, um, you know, it, it, it puts a lot more into perspective in terms of your relationship with a higher being and how that reflects with, you know, your relationship with your children is kind of like a, a similar, um, you know, type. Or I feel like it's the most kind of similar dynamic um, that, that I'll ever face with any relationship will be the relationship I have with my children. It's kind of like how you feel about higher powers. Um, and, you know, in terms of grappling with the, you know, neurodivergent children and neurodivergent people, um, I think with the, you know, the music... I'm, I'm conscious that music is a language that often can speak to people who, who are neurodivergent or, you know, have autism or, or something like that, where, you know, music can really connect with them. So to see the way that my children really uh, connect with music and often it's instrumental music, often it's classical, often it's a, you know, high sounding, you know, maglama, like a Greek, you know, a, a little Greek stringed instrument that that, that will, you know, you, you see my son's eyes light up. He's three years old, you see his eyes light up and he'll start dancing when he hears that type of music compared to hearing, I don't know, Taylor Swift or something. So, um, you know, it's really interesting to see how how the music can can speak that language with, with people. It doesn't matter whether you're neurodivergent or neurotypical. Mm. Um, I think, uh, like I, I might have said to you before, like I'm pretty... I, don't, I can't remember if we said on air or off air, but I'm, I'm pretty all or nothing when it comes to the music that I'm drawn to and the themes that I'm drawn to, that whatever I'm thinking about and grappling with in life is likely to make its way into my songwriting. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm already, you know, working on the next album and a lot of it is instrumental. A lot of it is, uh, well, it's probably a lot more Eastern even than what I'm currently doing, a bit more hardcore Eastern um, in terms of the instrumentation. And, uh, you know, I just wonder, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think to myself, am I just lazy with it? I'm, I'm not writing lyrics here. Or is there actually something in me that's wanting to push the writing of instrumental music that mm. really is speaking, you know, speaking to our spirits and to our brains more than lyrics can? It's like, you know, I'm a Sigur Rós fan and, and you know, mm. I think that music moves me to no end. And it's usually the, the songs that, don't have a whole lot of uh, 
singing in them or if they do have singing it's nonsense lyrics that mm. that it's the music that's taking me somewhere so um yeah you know uh you, you're always questioning uh it doesn't matter what your challenge is whether your challenge is having a child who's who's got autism or whether your challenge is you you uh you know you have cancer or your challenge is that you i don't know your child's not trying hard enough at school uh, you know everyone's challenges um they might not be equal but they feel equal, you know, they feel, everyone's challenge feels like their challenge. Mm. And so, um, you know, you'll always, as an adult and, or as a parent, you're always going to be grappling with your beliefs and your worldview based on what's happening with your kids. And as an artist, I suppose, you know, the purest, for me, the purest art that I can, that I can perform and create is going to be surrounded by, or is going to be in, informed by what I'm learning about the world and, how I see God, how I see my children, um, the challenges that I face, how I see society's response to my children and to me. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm always wanting to, I suppose, be authentic and reflect what I'm learning and feeling in the music that I make. So it's, it's going to be interesting, you know, uh, maybe it's a bit of a, a spoiler alert, but, you know, I'm thinking <laughs> of calling, um, calling the next album, uh, seeking sense which comes from sensory seeking uh, <laughs> people that seek yes, gotcha. i don't know i think seeking <laughs> sense is all right we'll see we'll see what the listeners think maybe the <laughs> listeners will comment on this podcast and say that's a shitty idea uh no hopefully that hopefully if someone says it's a good idea um you know so I, I'm, I'm definitely conscious that the next release is probably going to have some connection to you know neurodiversity mm. oh that's fantastic I don't know. Is anyone else doing that? Is there, is there records where like autism is the uh, is the uh, what do you call it concept has, concept albums? Has um, Spotify monetized that genre yet? I don't know. Could be something to it. You know, I don't, you know. I guess we'll have to take some autistic license and say, oh, sorry, sorry, everyone, bad pun, or a good pun, depending on how you look at it. No comment. <laughs> um, Thanks again, Andrew. I really appreciate you making the time today. Um, and we'll sign off as always. There is magic in the mystery of not quite knowing what you're doing. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, guys. Q playback.